Welcome to the podcast of Dr. Jeff R. Steele. Dr. Steele is the senior pastor of Redeeming Grace Church of Coleman, Alabama. He's a conference speaker, owner of the Christian music group The Steels, and an award-winning singer and songwriter. Now, here's Dr. Steele. Now, I'm going to start off today just by reading verse 1. We'll basically go through the entire chapter of John 13. We'll do so rather quickly this morning just to let you know and to set the scene as to where we are in verse 1. Now, the feast of the Passover, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world. The disciples in Christ are gathered now in the upper room for what the painter has called the Last Supper. He's got one more shot to tell them everything and anything that's on his mind. He knows his time of crucifixion, and the time that he must depart from these disciples is right in front of him. Now, in the first 20 verses of John chapter 13, we read the story of when Jesus took a basin of water and a towel and knelt down and washed the feet of his disciples. Then we go from the washing of the feet of his disciples of Jesus to verses 21 through 30, where Jesus announces and identifies Judas as the one that would betray him. Didn't make any bones about it. He told who he was, by which one would dip his uh, bread into the wine. And Judas did that. Jesus even looked at Judas and said, what you do, go and do quickly. And Judas left the fellowship there of the disciples. Then we get into verse 33 of John chapter 13. Jesus, as we've already read in verse 1 of John chapter 13, he knows his time is short. He knows that the crucifixion is now before him. He knows that he is speaking with these disciples for the last time in this part of his ministry. And he gives them his farewell address. Now, before I tell you what he told them in this last possible moment, let's look together at what he didn't tell them. He had this opportunity. His disciples are sitting in front of him. He knows whether they do or not that this is the end. He knows this is the last time he will ever get to address them. Look what he didn't say. He didn't say, fellas, it's going to be a big deal someday. So since I'm fixing to leave and before I get out of here, I want you to write this down so that you can tell others who are to come in the future. I want to tell you whether it's a pre-tribulation rapture, a mid-tribulation rapture, or a post-tribulation rapture. I want to let you guys know. I want to let you in on the secret. Before I'm gone, let me tell you when the rapture is going to take place in light of the tribulation. He didn't say it. He did not say, fellas, let me tell you, because he was God in the flesh and he surely knew. He didn't say, let me tell you so you can tell them who the Antichrist is. I want to let you know right now who the Antichrist is going to be. He did not tell them whether they ought to tell others to join a Baptist church, a Presbyterian church, a Methodist church, a Pentecostal church. He didn't say that. And my goodness, Jesus Christ, knowing 
that his time was up and that he was getting to transfer important message to the, messages to the disciples before he left, he did not say, fellas, I want you to know about 1,600 years from now, somebody's going to put together something called the King James Version of the Bible, and I want you fellas to know so you can transmit it to others, that's the one. That's the only one. Tell them, please, that the King James Version is the only version they ever ought to use or read. Now, to be fair about that, let me say he also did not endorse any of the other versions of the Bible. He didn't mention them. He didn't mention the King James Version of the Bible. He didn't say anything about it. Even though he knows his time is over, even though he knows this is the most important time he has to transfer messages to them forever, he didn't say anything about any of that. But look at us. What do we spend all of our time seemingly talking about? whether it's going to be a pre-tribulation rapture, a mid-tribulation rapture, or a post-tribulation rapture. We spend all of our time trying to identify who the Antichrist is. There are people today who have staked their entire lives and ministries on the fact that the King James Version of the Bible is the only one that ought to ever be read. In fact, they'll tell you if you got saved under the ministry of a preacher who used any other version except the King James Version of the Bible, you're not even saved. Look what we spend all of our time talking about. And yet when Jesus came to the very last opportunity to leave an imprint on the mind and the lives of his disciples, he didn't mention any of that. What did he mention? In verse 33, Jesus said, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you. Same thing, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Last chance. Last time he ever has to say what's the most important to him, to them, and he tells them to love one another. When we find ourselves locked in hatred and paralyzed from loving one another, that's when we need to be crucified to ourselves and resurrected to the will of God. In fact, the love that flows from the work of Christ through our lives to one another, Jesus said it was the only authenticating sign that we were really even saved. Think about that for a minute. Any of the spiritual gifts that are listed in other places in the Scripture, any of those spiritual gifts can be imitated, have been imitated, are being imitated, and will be imitated by people who are as wicked as the devil. Any of the acts of piety that we as Christians have adopted as a part of our program, what would that be? That would be if you come to church every week, people think you're holy. That would be if you dress in a certain way, people think you're holy. That would be if you give your money in the offering, people think you're holy. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. I think you ought to look acceptable. I think you ought to come. And I think the Scripture's clear on that. And I think you ought to give. And I think the Scripture's clear on that. But having said that, everybody who does that must know that what they're doing can be duplicated and faked by people who do not know Christ. The only thing Jesus said, and he said it to his disciples in his waning moments when he knew 
that he was telling them what he was telling them in light of this will be the last thing I'll get to tell you. He said, love one another. The only thing that's going to mark you as a disciple of mine, Jesus said, is that you love one another. Okay. He's just giving them this great discourse. His dying moments, he gives them the great discourse on loving one another. So who's the next person to speak? The next person to speak immediately after the message was Peter. And what did Peter say? Peter skipped right over the message and went back to verse 33. He missed 34 and 35. He went all the way back to 33 and Peter said, where are you going? Can you believe that, Brother Jeff? That somebody would come and miss the message? Listen, I, I'm a pastor. <laughs> you better believe I can believe it. Let me give you an example of how it happens. Preacher stands up and preaches on denying yourself, taking up your cross, following Christ, loving one another. And then he says, now are there any more announcements or anything else to say before we leave the building? And in his heart, he hopes somebody will stand up and having heard the message, they will say something that will further that message to the hearts of the people who have heard it. And what do we get? Anything else before we leave? Don't forget about the potluck supper this Thursday night. They skipped right over the message and went to the potluck supper. That's what Peter did. He just heard Christ tell him the most important thing that was on his mind, on Jesus' mind. He told his disciples. He says, the end is coming. I've got to leave you with something. Here's what I'll leave you with. Forget about who the Antichrist is. Forget about the King James Version of the Bible. Forget about the pre-mid or post-tribulation rapture. The most important thing I leave you with is love one another. The only thing that will mark you as one of mine is that you love one another. And immediately after the message, Peter said, where are you going? Peter would have made a good church member. Because you see, when Peter skipped right over the message and went back to something that wasn't nearly as important, Peter went back to what wasn't important. So where are you going? The reason I say to made a good church member is because it's obvious from that question, Peter didn't want to do anything. Jesus said, love one another. And Peter said, forget that. Where are you going? He didn't want to do anything. He just wanted to know something. We don't want to do anything. We just want to know who's going to do something. We don't want to know where the money's coming from. We just want to know. We don't want to know that it's coming. We want to know where it's coming from. Who's going to give it? Who's going to pay for it? We would rather have knowledge than to do something. That was Peter. Jesus said, love one another. And Peter said, where are you going? I don't want to do anything. I want to know what's going on. And I'll tell you, in our self-righteous attitudes in the church today, that's a lot of our problems. We don't want to do anything. We just want to know what's going on. Long as we know what's going on, we're satisfied. We can go home, sit down, watch TV, and forget about it all. But Peter couldn't just go home, watch TV, and forget about it all, and you can't either. If you're going to be a God-following, Christ-centered Christian, you're going to have to have more than some knowledge about what's going on. You're going to actually have to enter the fight and do something. Peter didn't want to do anything. He just wanted to know something. I'll tell you something else about Peter. And we could surmise this from his question. Where are you going? After he heard the message, love one another. He said, where are you going? Let us surmise that Peter said, wait a minute. I watched you raise the widow at Nain's son back to life. Man, that was cool. I like that. I watched you at J. Iris' house when you raised his daughter from the dead. Man, that was all right. I like that. I like to be around that kind of excitement. That was good. 
I watched you the day you gave Bartimaeus his sight back. That kind of stuff is cool. I like to be around that kind of excitement. I like that kind of stuff right there. Peter wanted excitement more than he wanted to just be obedient. Jesus said, where I am going, you cannot come. But that wasn't good enough for Peter. He had to be where the action was. Listen, there are people, believe it or not, in the church world today who if certain people aren't singing, they're not coming. It's not good enough for them. There are people in the church today that if they find out somebody's preaching and they don't like their preaching, they just won't come. I didn't think I'd get very many amens on that. But folks, we're not here for the titillation and the excitement of worship the way we like to have it. We are here to hear from God, and we need to be here. The Scripture says we are to be in the house of God. We're to be a part of the family of God, and we can't skip when we don't necessarily like what's going on. But Peter, he wanted to be where the excitement was. He wanted to be around what was happening. He wanted to know what was going on, not do anything. Well, Jesus tells him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now in verse 36, but you shall follow me afterward. There'll be a day when you can follow me, but you can't follow me now. Then Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. I don't want to demean this gathering or the son of God or any of his disciples, but if this was a poker game, Jesus is about to play the trump card right here. Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? In other words, Peter, you're not qualified to lay down your life for me. I am the only one uniquely qualified to lay down my life for you. And then Jesus said, most assuredly I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. The rooster, the morning sun will not come out in the eastern sky until you have denied me three times. Now, I want to tell you, Peter may have missed the message. And he may have had some mixed up priorities thinking he could die for Jesus' sake when only Jesus could die for his sake. He may have missed the message. He may have had some mixed up priorities. But when Jesus said, oh, yeah, before the morning sun rises, you are going to deny me three times. That sure seems mean, doesn't it? I mean, here's Peter. He's trying his best. He wants to be everything he ought to be. Probably too bad he wants to be everything he ought to be. And Jesus says, you're not even going to make it till morning. Before you blow it, before you fall flat on your face, and are forever remembered as a failure and a flop, and some even say a phone. It may be mean for Jesus to have said that to him, but you know what? I've been there. Some of you have been there. You're on top of the world. You're a leader at the church. You're the head of your household. You're important to the kingdom of God, you think, and then, bam, flat on your face, flat on your face. It's easy for you and I to forget that the chapter and verse divisions of the Bible 
didn't come along until hundreds of years after the Bible had been written. We divide chapter 14 from chapter 13. You can look in your Bible. Chapter 13 ends with Jesus telling Peter he's about to fail three times. And then we open chapter 14 and we have a discourse with Jesus telling about heaven. Wrong. We're not reading it correctly. There is no division between chapter 13 and chapter 14. So here's the way the Bible reads in the original version that was given down by God. This is the way the Bible reads. Peter, Jesus said, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times, but let not your heart be troubled. Thomas, Philip, because they're all listening. All the rest of you disciples, let not your heart be troubled. You want to know where I'm going? I'll tell you where I'm going. I'm going to prepare for you a place. I'm going to prepare a street of pure gold. I'm going to build jasper walls through which the power of sin can never come again. I'm going to sit underneath a tree of life and prepare a place for you there where you can shade yourself forever. I am going to the throne of God where someday you can come. I am going to a city that is eternal and everlasting where no death will ever come. I am going to a place where no sin can ever enter. You want to know where I'm going? I'm going to prepare for you a place you want to know how to get there I'll tell you how to get there John 14 6 I am the way I am the truth I am the life and nobody gets to go to that holy city unless they come by me do not let your hearts be troubled Peter you have been one of the strongest voices of this bunch you have been one of those that always told what you thought and thought what you told. You've been one of those that said you could do it all. Peter, I just predicted or prophesied your failure. But Peter, don't you let your failure get you sidetracked from what you've been called to do. Because Peter, you're going to learn through your failure that this process is not about you, buddy. It's about me. So fail, but don't let your heart be troubled by your failure. God knew Peter was going to fail. Now listen. There's some of you who need to get the perspective of God. God knows you're going to fail. God knows when you're going to fail. God knows how you're going to fail. And God says of your failure that he knows about, God says, let not your heart be troubled. Don't get sidetracked from the service of the Lord by the power of your failure because the power of your failure is not as great as the grace and forgiveness of God. You see, we're a bunch of little egomaniacs. We think our failure is more powerful than God's grace. So when we fail, when we fall down on the job, we want to sit there and waddle in the mully grubs until somebody comes along and pets us back to our place. And we're hard to get back to our place. But folks, God's got a message for you. Let not your heart be troubled by your failure because when Christ died on Calvary, he put enough grace in your account to cover all of your failures and all of your sins, past, present, and future.
had a preacher friend of mine one time came to see me after one of our meetings and he said, Jeff, he said, I don't have a problem believing my past sins have been forgiven. I don't have any problem believing that God can forgive my present sins, but my future sins. How can I believe God can forgive my future sins? I said, brother, when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, how many of your sins were future then? They all were, and Christ died for our sins, and grace covers our sins, and love grew where the blood of Jesus Christ fell. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Jesus said, hey, the rest of you guys, Thomas, Philip, all you guys, you're going to watch Peter fail. Your leader, boys, is going to fail. And y'all are going to get all upset and nervous about that. You're not going to like it. It's going to cause you to think it's not worth it for you to go on because your leader failed. He said, but you boys, you just remember when you see a brother overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of meekness thinking about yourself lest you be overcome by temptation. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Some of you today have quit on God 20 years ago and you can't get back in the scheme of things because you're so tied up thinking about what you did and how bad you were on that day when you failed God. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Don't get sidetracked by your failure. There's enough grace to cover your sin. Whatever your sin is, there's enough grace to cover it. And for you to think otherwise is to think less than you ought to of the power of the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ. You're not only going to fail, God knows when you're going to fail. God knows what you're going to do. And God says, let not your heart be troubled. Get up, move forward, and go on in the name of Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. And that's the message of the gospel. And that's the good news that we need to hear. We need to get up off of our faces and move out and move on for the glory of God, knowing that Jesus has crafted the message to Peter, to Thomas, and to the rest of these guys in the midst of the prediction of Peter's failure. His word was, let not your heart be troubled. It's the next thing that came out of his mouth. Don't let this get you sidetracked, Peter, because Peter, you're going to fail. You're going to de deny me. You're not even going to say that you know me. But Peter, don't get sidetracked because, brother, in the overall plan of God, you've got an appointment on the square in Jerusalem in just a few days, you, Peter, are going to preach the message on the day of Pentecost when the church explodes into its glorious birth. And if Peter had allowed his failure to sidetrack him, he would have missed God's destiny for his life. There's some of you today. You're so wrapped up in the way you failed your family. You're still thinking about that day you came home and hit your wife, kick the dog, push the kids. And the devil keeps bringing that to your mind and you don't think you can ever do anything for God. Let not your heart be troubled. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let not your heart be troubled. You're going to miss your destiny in God if you don't get on your knees, receive forgiveness for your sin, and then have the courage in the power of Christ to stand up and move out and move forward for him. We waste our time and we ignore God's mercy when we think our sin and our failures are greater than God's grace. They're not. And you're not greater 
than God's grace. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. But Brother Jeff, you don't know what I did. Don't need to. I'm just telling you what Jesus said. Let not your heart be troubled. Don't get overwhelmed by the power of sin. If you get overwhelmed by something, get overwhelmed by the power of grace. Get overwhelmed by the power of God and his love for you and then love one another as he has loved you. How has he loved you? He's loved you with enough grace so that he could save your failure. Let not your heart be troubled. You need to have enough love for each other when somebody fails you to say, let not your heart be troubled. Don't get sidetracked by that. When the devil comes to you and says your kids will never be right with God because you've been so rotten, let not your heart be troubled. When the devil says your marriage is going to end up in failure and your family is going to leave you, let not your heart be troubled. Get an old-fashioned dose of grace and God's love and mercy and carry on. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you'd like to contact Dr. Steele, you can go to his website at jeffrsteele.com. If you'd be interested in Dr. Steele coming to speak or having the Steeles minister at your next event, there's a booking inquiry form there. You may also call the office at 256-590-2068.